burdens. Lay down your burdens. What a beautiful song. Let's, uh, I'd like to ask that you would bow with me as we pray before we enter into this message. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for this space where we can meet you. And for the invitation that you give us to lay all that we have at your feet so that we might become empty and be filled with all that you are. And I pray, Father, this morning that, uh, that you would speak to us. And as you do, Father, that we would worship you. Thank you for meeting us here. In Jesus' name, amen. My eyes open, and I lay there thinking, should I go back to sleep? But I don't. What time is it? I'm going to watch. I have no phone, but I see some light. So I decide to stretch, pull this weary body out of bed. I reach for my Bible. I reach for my journal. I leave the room, and I go into this little kitchen area, kind of a makeshift kitchen area. I pump some water because there's no plumbing, but we have a way to filter the water. And I pump some water out, and I fill the little coffee pot, and I make myself a pot of coffee. And as I stand there and wait, I can smell the, the coffee. And you can smell it right now, right? Just thinking about it. Coffee is just that aroma. fills all of my senses. And as I wait, I read a bit. I try to make no noise. Don't wake all the others. It's my quiet time. And I open the door, and it creaks because it's a metal door on, on old hinges. And as I open the door, immediately I, I hear the braying of donkeys and the bleeding of sheep. And I see on the mountainside the rolling gardens, carrots, lettuce, cabbage, all in beautiful quilt-like rolls, rows. I see the children, the little children, dressed in probably the only clothing that they have except for Sundays, which they save for their best. And they're leading these donkeys and these sheep and staking them in the ground as they go. Or they've got big baskets, and they're collecting, harvesting vegetables. And I smell the air, an unpoisoned air. It's beautiful. And I go to my rock. I call it my rock. It's not my rock, but it's my rock while I'm there. And I sit out over, looks like a cliff, lots of trees and vegetation, and I hear below me a bubbling brook. You can hear it too. And I read this. Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift my eyes to the mountains. 
Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Last time I did that was about five years ago. I want to go back. I long to go back to Haiti. Um, to go to the mountain where we have our mission to build churches and schools, to hang out with the little children. But mostly because I want that rock experience. I want that mountaintop experience with God. I long for that peace, as Jonathan mentioned in his meditation, that peace in the midst of chaos, to be able to take a retreat from all that life is and to have that mountaintop experience with God. And it seems that once we have that mountaintop experience with God, we seem to spend our time in worship like we are today, longing for another great mountaintop experience. We long for the right song, the right musicians, for the crowd, for the sermon, for the testimony. And we think if we have the right mix, then the Spirit will come again like He did that one time that we remember or that several times we remember And we're still waiting for that mountaintop, that mountaintop experience. And so the moment that I described was mine, but what is yours? What's your mountaintop? And perhaps for you, it's a location. When I go to this place, when I come here, or maybe uh, I think of, to me, I think of the grotto. I love to go to the grotto at Notre Dame. It has a lot of experiences for other people, but I just love to be there. I love the, the candles and the view and It seems like the presence of God is there, or maybe it's the basilica for you. Or maybe it's home, back where everybody gathered together. Perhaps it's an experience, a memory, a conference that you went to where the the worship was intense and you really sensed the presence of God there. Maybe it was your wedding, or the birth of a child, or the day that Jesus became real to you, your Savior and your Lord. That mountaintop. I realize that there are some here today that may still be longing for that mountaintop. You've heard of it. You've heard people talk about it all the time. And it's, but it seems unlike it, as if only for the ultra-spiritual, this mountaintop experience. It is happening but I just seem to be missing it. Consider for a moment this passage from Romans that gives a definition of worship, I feel. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, and I'm going to read it out of the message. Paul says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, And place it before God as an offering. Lay it down. 
embracing what God does for you and the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted in your culture that you fix it into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity into you. I love the picture that this version gives us. Daily, in the middle of life, I become a worshiper. God wants worshipers. John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24 says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit, in spirit and truth. You and I have been created to worship, to give God glory. But how? God speaks into my life. He speaks into your life. He is speaking into our lives at this very moment so that we might live a worship to him, a life of worship to him. He speaks love. He speaks life. He speaks truth. And in that moment, that, that time where we are with God, he has a special window into my life. He created me. He knows me better than I know myself. And if I allow him to, his Holy Spirit can and will open up my life more and more to his mastery and to his ownership. And when this happens, my life becomes more and more a reflection of him. And all the characteristics of God, the fruits of the Spirit, are alive in me. And, I, and, and speak of his very presence in my life. God knows me. One of my favorite psalms and a prayer that I like to pray is Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What a beautiful prayer to say, God, I invite you to open up this window and look into my life and know me. Know all of the good and the bad, and I release it to you. And as you know me, speak truth into my life so that I might worship you better. And the more that I am with him, the more that my spirit is open to his voice and his presence, the more I listen, he speaks. He shows me who I am. But it's more than what I am to myself, because I think we all have, we all have an idea of who we are. But, you know, there are people in our lives that spend time with us, and they see things that we don't see, right? It's the Jahari window. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but there are things that I know about myself and my friend doesn't know. There are things that we know about me, you know about me, I know about me, and there are things that that person knows about me and that I don't know about myself. And sometimes the truth coming in to identify that can be painful at times. But when we ask God to search us, a God who knows all about me, he knows he created me, he knows me better than I know myself, and when we come to him, he opens up that window larger and larger. And as we continue to surrender to him, not only does he open up who I am, but he teaches me who he is. So, 
Is worship doing something in response to something God did for me? Absolutely. Absolutely. We come to worship God because Christ died and was raised back to life. And I come in grateful response to his love and grace. But the second question is, is worship a state of being? Yes. Because of who I am in Christ. He made me this way. I am becoming more and more like him. And my life becomes a worship to him. I'll never forget another similar mountaintop experience for me just this past summer. I was at Michiana Christian Service Camp serving there. Uh, and we had just got done a, a listening to working through the prodigal son. And we had set up a prayer area there at the camp. And I decided I'm just going to lay on the grass on my back. And the thought came to me that Jesus is laying there with me. I didn't feel him, but I certainly sensed his presence. And as I'm laying there, he grabs a hold of my hand. Now, men, (laughs) for us to have another man come up to us and hold our hand can be a very intimate, very uncomfortable moment. (laughs) But Jesus lays there with me, beside me, very close to me. And he holds my hands, holds my hand, and he speaks words of truth into my life. And he says, Lowell, I love you. You are valuable to me. And I want to bring light into the farthest reaches of your soul. You are my child. No matter what, you are my child. And I long to give you grace and purpose. God knows me. God knows me so that I might live a life of worship to him. This morning, I would like to us, for us to kind of do a journey through Psalm 84. Psalm 84 is another one of those song of ascents written by the sons of Korah. Korah was the grandson of Kohath, the son of Levi, the priest. And there's a whole history about how the sons of Korah came to be at a, a place of prominence within a tabernacle and temple worship. They had two responsibilities, the sons of Korah did. They were the musicians. David commissioned them because of their ability to provide instrumental and choral music in the worship of the tabernacle. And secondly, they were the doorkeepers. And there are 25 psalms within the 150 that were written by the sons of Korah, probably written to music and were sung during temple worship. And I think Psalm 84 gives us a picture of what it must feel like to prepare prepare yourself for worship. For the whole nation of Israel, this only happened three times a year. Now, we get together at least 52 Sundays out of the year. But for the Israelite nation, for the Jewish nation, everybody, the, the whole community would come together, and really it was just the men, but the whole community would come together and worship three times a year to celebrate three festivals that were required for them to take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship at the tabernacle or the temple. Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tents. And then 
Here is just the beginning of Psalm 84, the first two verses. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul longs, yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. What's lovely to you? What is it that your heart yearns for? I remember my mentor in ministry, he used to say, when we were thinking about things that we really wanted, he would say, I want it so bad that I can taste it. And I get that sense from the psalmist here. He's saying, the courts of the Lord, I long for it. I want it so bad that I can taste it. What does your soul faint for? There is nothing more beautiful than gathering together in worship for the Lord. It's kind of a holy Love sickness. I asked several individuals to just give me their reflections on what worship is to them, personal worship, and, and I'm going to use them in my message a little bit. Here's somebody wrote this. Even before I start, I know within my heart you are worthy of more. My Lord is precious to me. I long for our intimate times together. God loves me. God loves you. Do you yearn and long to be in his presence where he speaks love into your life? God knows me. He speaks love into my life. And as a result of that love that is spoken into my life, I am filled with joy. And I long to be in his presence. Verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 84 Even the sparrow has found a home, a swallow, a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. A dwelling where God is praised, a place to rest your head. What does peace look like to you? Spring is here, as Janae mentioned, and I, one of the things that I, I long for when spring comes, when the snow is still on the ground and is melting, I listen, and you can hear the robins sing. You know, the, and, I, and the robins just have a very distinctive song. The psalmist here is giving you a picture of what it would be like to be in temple worship because it was kind of an open building concept. We can't do that in the middle of our winter, but it, but it was kind of an open building concept, and the birds would come in and out of the temple, and the sparrows were welcome there. And you could hear them, and you could see them. And in the temple, the small little sparrows find shelter and rest and a place to nest and raise their young. The little sparrows are welcome in the temple of God. They sing And they fill the house with their songs. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? I wonder if in his mind as he's saying that, he's, he's picturing the temple. And he's picturing something that they probably take for granted, these birds that fly in and out of the temple, making a home there. We are all creatures of habit, all of us. 
and we have all different habits. And when we talk about worship, there are certain things that I do in worship that does not, do not resonate with you, but there are certain things that you do that are important to you. Somebody wrote this, I hear from God when I remain still and rest in him or spend time on a particular meaningful passage. Another says, 40,000 miles a year in a car, back and forth to work, listening to worship music and hearing his small voice. Our uniqueness, in our uniqueness, we create spaces for worship that fit the way God created us. On Wednesday morning, <clears throat> it's been happening lately in our house, but I, uh, I, I was laying in bed, and it, uh, for some reason, I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I lean over, I look over, and my wife has got her phone out. Katie's got her phone out, and she's, she's reading Scripture on her phone, and she's praying. She's been struggling a little bit with insomnia lately, so almost every other day, I can count on leaning over and looking at her doing this. And usually, I'm able to just go immediately back to sleep. I have no problem sleeping. But Wednesday morning, I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, I look over, and I see her doing that, and I roll over just thinking I'm going to go back to sleep. Couldn't do it. I laid there for 15, 20 minutes just struggling with this. I want to go back to sleep. You have no idea how busy I've been the week prior to this day, and I couldn't do it. God was saying to me, I need you to get up because I have something that I want to communicate to you. So I went out. I got myself a cup of tea. I went out into the living room, and I spent two hours just listening and praying, and God met me there. It wasn't anything super dynamic or spectacular, but in the moment, in the quietness of my living room, God met me there. He knows me, and at that moment, he was speaking value into my life. Even as more than the sparrows that fly through the temple, you and I have value to God. We belong to him, and we find a place of rest and peace. Don't worry. God values you more than all the other creatures and all of creation. And when we know and understand our value to God, we find a place to belong and can live a life of worship to him. Continuing on, verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you who have their hearts set on a pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God and Zion. What is this Valley of Baca? I was kind of looking at that and trying to research. And it wasn't necessarily any particular place. But we do know that during temple worship and tabernacle worship, there was a place to discard all of the carcasses that were not burned, all of the, the refuse and the garbage of the camp. There had to be a place, and it was a place where it would be burned. It was a place of uncleanness. And I imagine as the temple worshipers were making their pilgrimage three times a year, going up to Jerusalem, which was on a high, which was on a high spot, they may have passed by this valley of garbage. And it was also a valley of weeping a valley of sorrow. When the righteous pass through a time of suffering and calamity, they turn it into a place of refreshment. They are the happy pilgrims. Listen to what somebody else writes. For me, worship takes place in singing and prayer. It is a pathway open up between me and God. I wish desperately to hear from God. 
Many times I think I create the barrier to hearing God. And when I have a lot of bad stuff going on, I find it harder to praise him. Maybe that's where you've been or you are now. Lately, though, I've tried to focus on one amazing thing I'm grateful for and thank him for that before I unload my worries and concerns on him. Going to worship is sometimes and needs to be regularly a time where we release our burdens and our cares to him. We walk through the valley and God opens up our hearts to see what is not completely turned over to him and we lay it down. We have to go through that valley so that we can reach the mountaintop. We love the mountaintop, but can we find strength in the valley to make it to the mountaintop? And as we walk through that, God walks with us where we give up our garbage so that we can be with him on the mountain. We leave our burden behind because it hinders our journey so. And then these words of David just kind of came to my mind as I was thinking, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The New Testament writer says that he longs for God's discipline of him because he knows that it brings him back in line with God and we can go and worship him. God knows me. God knows who I am. He knows my hurts. He knows my struggles. He knows my sins. And he speaks light into my life. And he makes me free so that I can worship him unbound and unburdened. Starting at verse 8, hear my prayer. Hear my prayer. O Lord God Almighty, listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. This is a prayer of protection. The psalmist is saying, hear me. Listen to me, God. Be my strength. Be my favor. When the temple was built, and this psalm may have been written before or after the temple was built, but Solomon, who built the temple, also built palace, a palace for himself. And in that palace, he created 500 gold shields and placed them in the palace, glistening in the sun. And perhaps the psalmist, as he's writing this, thinks of passing through that palace where he sees his reflection in those shields. Because those shields represent strength and favor from the Lord. They speak of the heritage that all of the Jewish people had, that they could come before God. They were God's people. And God listens to the one he favors. Don't be afraid to come to God and express your greatest needs and desires. He hears you. He loves you. And he longs to cover you. He longs to cover you. Another individual writes, life passes fast. Right? Life passes fast. And the older you get, the quicker it goes. And sometimes it's hard to prioritize but, and put Jesus first. We deal with lack of sleep. We fall asleep when we pray. We're, we're laying in bed and we're praying, and, and all of a sudden, the next morning we wake up and we thought, well, that didn't work very well. We have stress over marriage issues and stress over kids' issues. We have these long to-do lists and finances, and it's hard to pray. What do you hear? Everything is okay. 
This is what God is saying. I've got this. Love your wife as I love the church. Bear her burdens. You are too busy. Let me handle this, God says. Sabbath. 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 Sit in me and let me show you a true reflection of who you are. You are mine. And you are my heritage. You see, Satan's lie is this. God does not want you. You are unworthy. But as you look in that reflection, you see from God, you are mine. You are mine, and I have bought you with a price. God knows me. God knows me, and he speaks truth into my life. And I am favored. I am favored. And to finish up this psalm, better. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold for those who walk, whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Now, the psalmist has made his way to the temple and he walks in where he has longed to be. The people of Israel longed for these three festivals to be able to come to the house of God. It was like their Disney vacation to them. You know, we always talk about A lot of families talk about that. Can't wait to go to Disney this year. This is what they longed for. After working and, and harvesting and planting and all the other busy things, they could not wait to go and to take this pilgrimage to the house of God. And the sons of Korah wrote this, better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. It wasn't, it wasn't just a servant's position, but it was a position where they would make sure that nothing would come into the temple, nothing would come into the house of the Lord that was tainted or impure. They were charged with protecting the temple and to keep out anything that was evil. And in that place, God knows me. He speaks grace into my life and gives me purpose. It is by grace of the grace of God that we are able to do anything in the kingdom and not on our own strength, which is so freeing to me. Because I know that if I try to do something in my own strength, if I work as hard as I can, I am going to wear myself out. But if I am in the yoke with God who gives me grace so that I can serve him, I could be free in doing it. Another person writes, In all of my days and even some nights, I reach for him and he reaches for me. In all my ways, I acknowledge him and know he will keep my path straight. And I get a nudging from the Holy Spirit and he keeps me aware of what he wants me to be doing. That's God's grace. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to spend days, thousands elsewhere. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, Paul speaks of this heritage that we have in God. He speaks of this grace, and he says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. Just pause for a moment there. Paul is talking to the Gentile people. 
in the midst, in, in the midst of all that they are and thinking about who Jesus Christ is and how he's come to redeem all mankind, he says, you are no longer foreigners or aliens or strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to be a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Nobody in here is a foreigner or an alien to God because he knows you. And this morning he is speaking truth and life and love into your life. And he is giving each and every one of us that are a part of the Living Stones Church a place to be and a purpose to live. And when we come together in community with one another, we share that heritage. We are being built into a dwelling where Christ dwells. He is here. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you again, Father, for meeting us here. Thank you, Father, for your very presence that speaks words of truth into our lives so that we might worship you more perfectly. In Jesus' name.